As you're moving back to your seats, if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 12 today. So five verses. Verses 7 and 8 uh, really tie strongly to the verses that I did two weeks ago. And by the way, uh, shout out to Mark, man. Way to, way to do it. I was listening last week. Did he do it? Man, God used him, right? Amen. Follow leader, get out of the way. I think I preached that sermon and got in trouble for it, but good job on you. Uh, we do praise God for Mark and uh, all the men in the church who uh, chase after the Lord and are ready to stand up and speak and, and uh, be a mouthpiece for God. And all the ladies in the church, too, who are just as ready to speak for the Lord and to do what God has called you to do and to support your husbands and Husbands supporting their wives. We pray for more of that. We pray that you would be all about God and all about the Lord's business. Uh, it's Father's Day. And so uh, from me to you, happy Father's Day. And uh, it is, fathers are a special thing. You know, we have Mother's Day and mothers are a special thing. I think that God obviously knew what he was doing when he gave children a mother and a father. There are things in a child's life that the mother can offer that the father just cannot offer. He can try, and uh, he can make make do. You know, if a child loses a mother early uh, on, it's tragic. And the father can can really try, and he can he can still love that child. But there's just things a mother has. Uh, there's things a mother can do, and there's things about a mother that a father he just doesn't get. I tell you, me and my wife uh, have been together for quite a minute now, and I just have no idea what's going on in her head. <laughs> I just you know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but there's also, in the same breath, uh, things that a father can offer that a mother just cannot offer. And that's why we need both. And God designed it well. He designed it perfectly to, to function that way. And so hats off to you fathers out there, especially you fathers who fight the good fight. You are in it. You are ground and pound. You are going to war with the enemy. You are in the word, you're praying for your family, you're doing devotions, you're praying over your wife, and those things can get tough sometimes, you know, we, we live in a busy age right now, and uh, you know, it's, it's easy for us to get distracted like I was talking about earlier, and I find that uh, my plate is just too full right now even, and I like what Mark has said, and I don't know who stole it from, but I, I stole it from him, I'll use it as Mark says that busy just stands for bound under Satan's yoke. And, uh, man, I'm like, get your yoke off me, man, you know. I'm just too busy sometimes. But we can get caught up, but praise God for you fathers. I, my dad's here. Praise God for him. Happy Father's Day. Pop, he's getting old. Look at him. He's old. No, I love you. He's, uh, he still runs with the best of them. He, he'll work circles around a lot of guys I know. So praise God for him being here. Hambone's a, a, a father to me as well. He's in Italy right now, so that's messed up. I can, he left me over here. But uh, two weeks in Italy, they needed it. Yeah, they deserve it. Praise God. They work, uh, man, their fingers to the bone for the Lord. So him and Deb went over to visit Deb's sister, and her husband and Deb's brother uh, is over there, and his wife as well. So uh, they're having a, a little semi-family reunion over there, sibling reunion, and so that's a good thing. So praise God for that. But happy Father's Day, and let's get into the Word of God. 
Let me pray one more time just to ask God to bless this word. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We come before you. We give this to you. And uh, God, I pray that you would be lifted up, that you'd be glorified, and you'd be exalted, and that we would be uh, trained, that we would be better when we leave here than when we came in. Guard the word that's about to go forth, that it wouldn't be my opinion or my, uh, my stuff, but it would just be what you have laid out in the word of, of, of God, your word, that you've revealed to us. We love you, we thank you, we give you this time in Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 7, if you'll stand to your feet for the reading and the hearing of God's word. I'm going to start back in verse 4, just to give you the context. Hebrews 6, starting in verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and and the powers of the age to come, And then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land, and here's our verses, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So just a few things to point out here. Verses 7 and 8 kind of finish off that little section that we came out of when we started back in verse 4. And it's talking about <clears throat> this, uh, this distinction in different types of people that are in the church, that are in the body. Remember, this is the apostle. He's writing to a, an, he's writing to an audience that is uh, more than likely, uh, almost surely, mostly Jewish believers or who were Jewish believers at one time. We notice in the text that we just read, he still has hope that they are uh, in the faith, that they are not like these that he's talking about. He is talking about those who have come out of Judaism. They have, um, they have become Christians. They have become Christians. And they were toying with, maybe some had, going back to the old ways, back to the law of Moses, back to the Levitical system, back to the Old Testament shadows and types and putting more emphasis on those things and uh, really coming to the wrong conclusions on what the importance and what the importance of those things are now. Uh, in this current post-resurrection, post-ascension world, this Christian world of the gospel and of the kingdom of Christ. And so we we shift from uh, this idea of breaking down uh, what, what is going on in, in, the, in the realm, in, the rea- in reality, 
as it pertains to these people spiritually, what, what are they? So they, they seem to be on the edge. It, they have tasted of the heavenly gift. They've partaken of the things of the Spirit. They've been there. They look like they're saved. They are walking in a certain way. But then they fall away. And the text is very, in my opinion, it's a very, very scary text if we read this. And as, we, as I mentioned to you and as we talked about the last time I was here two weeks ago is that this is a hotly debated verse, a hotly debated chapter, but this section right here is utilized by those denominations or those sects or those people who would say that you can lose your salvation, that you can be truly born again, you can be of the elect, that you can be saved, and then you can fall away and lose that actual realized salvation, and you were uh, a born-again Christian, and then you were not a born-again Christian. But as we talked about last week, as we kind of parse the verses, and as we exegete, and as we walk through them, I think that it's pretty clear, at least in my opinion, that it's not teaching that at all. What it's teaching is, is that there are those, and we see this all the time just in reality, there are those that they experience massive amounts of blessings. I mean, come on, even staunch atheists, they experience the blessings of God all the time, do they not? Do atheists who avidly fight against God and debate that God isn't even real or that he's horrible or evil, do they not get to live on God's earth? <clears throat> even that. Do they not get to breathe God's air? Does God not continue to uphold them in their being to keep their atoms together that, that create them, that make up who they are and what they are? Does he not allow their lungs to continue function? And even beyond that, does he not allow them, many of them, to have great careers and have success here on earth? To have wives or husbands that love them and they get to experience loving relationships, the sons and daughters and as a matter of fact, they're so blessed sometimes that many of the righteous look on the life of these staunch atheists and unbelievers and God-haters and they say, why do they got it so good, right? But it's only a misconception and a misunderstanding of where the most blessings, where the most wonderful and precious blessings actually exist. Is that right? And so the text here is saying there may be some of those who have seemed to have come in and he uses the words like partaken of, tasted, seen, had a glimpse. But then they have fallen away. And then it does something odd. And I'm just setting it up like this. Is that here at the end in verse 6 it says, And then have fallen away. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance. And we talked last week about the different types of repentance. You have different kinds of repentance. There is a repentance unto works. There is a repentance unto faith. There is there is a different motivation. And are you doing what you're doing because you are in love with the Lord, you're pursuing the Lord, or are you doing what you're doing to strong-arm the Lord and to get at his stuff? And that's two different, very different things. And then it goes on to say this. Since they are, and I thought this was important, and I, and I had it outlined. I didn't uh, share it last week. We just kind of ran out of time. But it says here, it says, <clears throat> Since they are crucifying once again, the Son of God to their own harm, and here's a second, and holding him up to contempt. Basically what this is saying, and these are both present active participles. So it says, those who have fallen away, this is the way it would kind of literally read in a, in a 
hard line reading. Those who have fallen away, the ones who are crucifying him again right now, present tense, active participle. It says, those who have fallen away, the ones who are crucifying him all over again. What do you mean crucifying him all over again? Jesus Christ is uh, resurrected. He's ascended to heaven. Jesus isn't here for you to uh, crucify again. Here's the deal, that we've come, we've tasted, we've seen what he does with sin. We've seen how he kills sin. We see that he's supposed to kill sin. And we say, I don't care. Get back up on the cross. I need more sin in my life. And we know you need to be on the cross to deal with sin. And so get back up there because I've got a little more sinning to do. We're actively choosing our sin, intentionally choosing our sin over the Savior. So we are crucifying him all over again. We are, we are putting him back on the cross. We are not, here's, think about it this way. We are not living in the reality that Jesus Christ is no longer paying for sin, but he is resurrected, he has ascended into heaven, and he is sustaining our life in him. Does that make sense? Now, obviously, the effects and the, the power of the, of the crucifixion the death of sin, and I've, we've talked about this before as well, is that Jesus did not die on the cross so that you could live, per se. And now follow me theologically here. Jesus died on the cross so that you could die to yourself. See, the cross has to do with death. The burial has to do with death and putting away. The resurrection has to do with life. And the ascension has to do with the, the realization, to a certain degree, of that life that is in the believer. So Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried in the tomb to put away death, sin, hell, and Satan. He resurrected, vindicating him as the Son of God who is the life. Jesus Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is life. He then ascends into heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come and make that life life that death of sin life in christ an actual reality in the believer as the holy spirit comes back to indwell the believer and to apply to impart the righteousness of christ that they might be lifted up transferred from the domain of darkness into the into the kingdom of the beloved son does that make sense and so Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning now from heaven. The Holy Spirit is here. The gospel is that doorway. The gospel is the power of, of, of God for salvation. And here we are. And so we have those who, they're here. And, me, and this may be many of you. This could be me. We need to understand. You say, oh, no, the guy up there preaching, you know, man, look at him. He's doing that. Man, he's doing it, baby. If anybody, it's him. No. You remember when Jesus Christ was speaking and he said, you know, there's going to be a lot that stand before me that day. And they said, did we not cast out demons? Did we not do all, do all these magnificent things? And Jesus never once corrected them. He never said, you didn't, you didn't cast out any demons. No, he said, yeah, yeah but I never knew you. It's, you do not work to secure salvation. It doesn't work that way. You can do a lot of good things. A lot of repentance can be in your life. But what type of repentance is it? What type of belief do you have? Why are you doing what you are doing? And we need to be continually examining ourselves. And basically what he's showing here, and I'm going to even uh, hammer it a little bit more here in just a minute, is that there are many people who look like they're believers, and they do a lot of good stuff. They're Man, they, it's really hard to tell them apart. But at the end of the day, they prove themselves to have never been a part of the family of God and the people of God. 
As John said, they went out from us, but they were never really of us. You can't go out from somewhere if you were not there. So they were there. They were experienced. They were even part of the visible church, doing work, ministering for God. But that's different a lot of times from being born again. You know, I can work for my boss, or I can love him and serve him. Those are, those are two different things as a son. So let's move in now in verses 7. So he's talking about this impossibility, uh, the crucifying and the holding him up to contempt or present active uh, participles. And so that's something that's being done now, which is a distinction I wanted to make because here's the deal. It, we, we come into the faith, we pray a prayer, and especially in Southern Baptist life, but in, I, think, I think now probably this uh, new evangelicalism, you know, I don't know what label to put on it, but it just seems that the churchy culture right now is this idea that you say a prayer one time at one point in your life, and that's, that's it, baby. That's done. That's done. Once saved, always saved, no matter what. But the text really seems to do battle with that idea. It's that, yes, once you are born again, you are born again. But the born again will reveal who they are by what is expressed in them, through them, and de demonstrated by them as the Holy Spirit is working in them and setting them apart and sanctifying them and maturing them and so on. And here, that idea is being challenged of, yeah, you are part of the church, so you're good now. He gives a demonstration in verses 7 and 8. Let's look at that. He says, for, and remember this is coming right out of those who have tasted, they've shared, and all this. It's impossible to restore them again. And, and here's a, an illustration, 7. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake uh, it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. So here's the first. We're going to see two categories. The first category is land. Now both are land. That will be the first thing I'll point out. Notice that the rain falls on which land? All. Both. The rain falls on both. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. That goes back to that idea that everybody experiences the blessings of God to a certain degree. We call this common grace. Now, some people deny common grace, but I have still not figured that out. I don't get it. Anything is grace unless you are being tormented in the fires of hell. Right? I mean, what do, we, what do every single individual in this church deserve? Death, hell, wrath, abiding on us forever and all times. Fire, you know. It's like, please God help, you know. We deserve death. We deserve wrath. Any minute, every second that you breathe without being consumed by the fire of God is a blessing. It's a blessing. Unbeliever or, or non-believer. Or believer or unbeliever. All of this is a blessing. It's all a blessing. And so the first thing I'd point out is that the, the rain falls on both, both types of land. Land with good crops, land that's overgrown, falls on both. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. So here's the first distinction. We have a piece of land, and when the rain falls on it, a crop is produced. 
Okay, very simple. We have these agricultural examples all the time in scriptures, agricultural um, culture that they lived in, so very useful. But we can, we can see it too, and it helps us. The rain falls on it, and, a, and a, a crop is produced, and that crop is beneficial. How many of you have gardens? A lot more than you did before, you know, this administration. <laughs> Sorry. So many of you have gardens. What do you desire for your garden? That it produces, it rains on it, and the, the seeds were planted rightly, and it was good seed, and the seed then what? It comes up, and, and what you planted is actually what comes up. How many of you have ever planted a garden? You're like, I didn't plant that there when it starts coming up, uh, and, right? And, and plus, here's another thing. We planted a garden uh, last year, two years ago, and it, we just got a little, a little spot, well, maybe this big, I don't know. We planted some watermelons, we planted some squash and some zucchini, we never picked any of it. <laughs> Weeds everywhere. I'm like, I, th this spot was not like this. I planted this and now every invasive species known to mankind has, they have marched to my garden spot and now they are here. And it was just really weird. Now I've got watermelons, and I don't want watermelons. I can't get rid of them. They're like way over there. I don't even know how that works. But when you plant a garden, when the rain falls, you want the, the right stuff to come up. So what? You can pick it. You can harvest. You can, you can take the crop, and it'll be useful, right? And you can, you can benefit from it. It's useful. And then he goes on. Let's read verse 8. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Now, you know, I could spend a while here. I've got a, a bunch of notes here. But I'll say this is that very simply, we see a few things. Two types of land uh, that both are land. Okay, it just says land. And obviously, you know, we're talking about people here. But two types of land are two different uh, tracts of land. They both get uh, rain. The, the rain falls. They're both blessed with rain. Okay, One of them, crops come up, and it produces fruit. And it seems to be good fruit. Why? Because it's useful. Useful to who? The people who it was cultivated for. So a farmer plants a garden. Rain comes. Crops come up. It was cultivated for that farmer's family and maybe the uh, workers of that land, and they're blessed by it. They get to enjoy its fruit. They get to enjoy the crop. Okay. Then you've got another land. It got, it got rain as well. The rain fell on it too. But instead of producing a good harvest or a good crop or a good fruit, it, it produced thorns and thistles, which we know is a symbol of what? The curse. We didn't even have thorns and thistles until the fall. I was talking to a guy about that uh, at my son's baseball practice the other day. You know, I always thought, I was thinking, I was like, I said, why did God make mosquitoes? <laughs> right? I don't know. There's just horrible. Like, did God make a mistake? Like, it was this one thing. Like, he was creating, and it just kind of flew out, and he didn't realize that it got. But... I, I didn't even put this together. I heard somebody say this the other day. I was like, ah. Did you know that thorns and thistles did not exist till post-fall? Thorns and thistles were a result of sin. I was like, gnats, mosquitoes. You know? Now I know. I'm like, yes, you, you result of sin, you know? 
And, when, and, and God oftentimes demonstrates uh, and foreshadows himself by the giving of blood. So every time I smack a mosquito, I'm like, the blood of Jesus right there. <laughs> what, does your, what does the tract of land produce? So it produces thorns and thistles. It's useless. And just in agricultural language, when you have a field that's not a good field, and somehow, oh, one thing I'll back up to is that what, do you, what needs to be done in order for when the rain comes that the right crops come up? Huh? You got to weed it, but what comes before that? You got to plant it. You got to put the right seed down, right? You got to you got to cultivate. You got to put the seed down. You got to put it in its rows. You got to organize it. You need to take some care. You know how? I'm not a huge gardener, but you know how deep do you plant the seed? You know we plant a bunch of trees, and if you plant the tree too deep, guess what happens? It's gonna die, right? If you plant the tree too shallow, guess what's gonna happen? It's going to die. Now, I'm, I'm dealing with existing trees already, but there are certain depths at different seasons. So if, the, if it produces a good crop, then somebody took the time to, to make sure that they are putting the seeds where they need to go. They, they're making sure that it's done rightly, that everything is happening the way that it should be happening. And then you've got this other piece of land that, you know, it, I, I don't know if it was even sown. It doesn't even say, did the, God, did the seed ever go out on this this plot of land or maybe and you we have this the the parable of the sower that some of the seed fell on rocky soil some of it fell in and its roots were very shallow and some of it fell and it sprang up for a minute but thorns and thistles the cares of this world came in and choked it out and you know when you're looking at that tree man the gospel had an effect the gospel which the gospel is the seed i don't know if you know that the word of god is the abiding it's the abiding word it's the seed the sperma the gospel the word of god so it goes in and we have to ask ourselves what's the result of that and so even even here and and i'll I don't, I, don't know, I don't hear anybody talking about this. Keith and I have had conversations about this, but it's like I guess it's kind of beyond what most want to talk about. But you understand that even in this text in Hebrews chapter 6, there is, a, there is a real type of interaction that some unbelievers have with God that they're not born again. They're, they're never truly born again, but they... As the text says, it's this kind of idea that they taste. They come right up to the edge. Maybe they're so close to the blessing that the radiance of the glory of God is just kind of brushing off of them. So they get to experience a little bit of that, a little bit of that wonder, a little bit of that glory, a little bit, but but they're never a part of it. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like that seed that fell in the shallow soil. You know, have you ever thought about that seed actually sprouted? You know, it, it, it looked, man, you know, this, but it didn't last. It was choked out. It was not cultivated. It did not see its completion. And then other seed fell on good soil, and it grew up, and it produced. And so we have this, you see the illustration, it's, it's clear there. And so I would say that this is another hard and fast evidence that this is not talking about salvation, because it is talking about benefiting and experiencing some of the attributes or some of the benefits momentarily but then being proven later down the road to have never been one of the elect that you were in the church you know visible church that you were experienced so is this not a stark warning to all of us goodness it's this is and, and when it, it's going to clearly warn here in just a minute so just a couple of things on that as we move to the next point 
is that fruitfulness is a demonstration of the right seed being planted. Isn't that that's good, right? Fr uh, fruit, fruitfulness is the demonstration of the right conditions for the seed to grow. Parents, fathers on Father's Day today. You know, a lot of us think that it's one and done, that we talk to our kids about Jesus, and they uh, believed in Jesus, and they uh, confessed, you know, Jesus. And we're like, man, praise God. I, I baptized my five-year-old little girl a few weeks ago, which I had no intention of doing. But after hearing what she said and what she believed out of the mouth of babes, I said, I can't withhold it from her. Now, do I, do I, do I clap my hands and stomp my feet and say, yes, Ella Ray is good until the day she dies? Heck to the no. No, 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 no. You know, I have, I have been part of the, and I don't, I'm not God, so I don't really know what's going on. But I have been, I've been a part of so many counseling sessions and salvations where the 25-year-old or the 50-year-old or the whatever-year-old comes to me after hearing the clear gospel proclamation and they say, Brandon, I have been in church for X amount of years and I realize that, and they say, I prayed that prayer, I was baptized, but you know what? I was doing what everybody else was doing. I don't know what you're talking about. When I speak of the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, the joy that is in Christ, the, the, the peace and the, and the comfort of, of, you know, you may have lung cancer, but this overwhelming presence of God that says, if that's the case, then I'll see you soon, Lord. We pray to God for healing, don't we? We want you to have more time with your beautiful bride that you've not been married that long and you get this. But we know, and I've, sp I've spoken to Dr. Sherman, is that Dr. Luck is, you know, we want to pray. We want this out of here. But if it be God's will, I'm going to see my Lord. I'm going to see my Lord face to face soon. That, that, I, you know, I've had too many people come to me and say, I don't know what that is. I'm chasing a dream. I'm chasing this. I'm chasing that. And it is fleeting. And it is exhausting. And I am up. And I am going. And I am running. And I am searching. And I am trying to get this peace through this way, this way, this way, this way, this way. But I cannot find it. What are you talking about? And then I've seen the gospel go in. And it seems from my perspective that, that birth spiritual birth actually happens then and i watch as they are a whole new creature been in church 30 years so why do i say that i say because the seed needs to be cultivated there's been seeds planted in every one of my children but that's not the stopping point that's the beginning and you know when you when you plant a seed when you plant a garden some of you who's who feels like that you're a pretty good gardener I won't, I won't make you sin, right, by pride. Susie says, who's got a pretty green thumb? Anybody? Who can plant something that doesn't die immediately? All right, my brother over here. Got one over here. Got one over here. John's a liar. Who else? <laughs> what do you do, right? You take that seed. You put it in the ground. You know, you're excited about it. Cover it over. Pour some water on it. Maybe put a little miracle grow on it, put you some fertilizer, put you some nutrients, right? And you come and you check on your seed. You don't want those, you know, you know, especially, man, I, you see, I do a lot of landscaping. And, 
these crazy people that live in deer-infested woods. And I'm going out to do landscaping in the middle of the woods, and they're like, hey, do you got anything deer-proof? And I'm like, no. <laughs> they're like, well, this one landscaper told me there was like five, six, seven varieties. I'm like, he's a liar. Deer will eat anything if they're hungry enough. Now you could plant some barbed wire, you know. <laughs> Deer are going to eat. They may be worse than goats, right? Anyway, when you, you're going to care for it, right? And, and these customers will be like, look, you can plant, you know, things that are more deer resistant, all jokes aside. But if you want to plant something nice, say a Japanese maple, or you want to plant a cherry tree, maybe, you, you know, Lord forbid you want to plant a blueberry bush, you know, you're going to have to take some care. Put a barrier around that thing, right? Got to cultivate it. So you're going to make sure any seed comes up, you're like, get out of here, right? You're taking care of it. You're protecting it. That's your children, dads. That's your children. You preach the gospel. You plant that seed. Anybody coming in to take away your seed, pow, to the moon, Alice. I, told, I asked my son the other day, I said, what you scared of? And say this and that. I said, what you scared of when I'm around? Nothing. Nothing. Why? Well, I say, uh, Ella Ray, I said, all right, listen, we're going in here, and he's walking behind me, you know, sometimes you get a little wet. I said, what do you do if somebody, you know, approaches you? I scream really loud. What happens when you scream really loud? Daddy comes. What happens when daddy comes? He hurts him. <laughs> Amen, sister, you know. Amen. I ain't always been a preacher, right? I'll give you the five-finger gospel. I believe in all five points, brother. <laughs> you got to cultivate, cultivate, cultivate. And in every, that's why, you know, Justin, me and Justin, Victoria's talked about this a lot in Deuteronomy where it's talking about the frontlets and all that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, it's, it's, it's just about always having the Lord before you, always having the Word before you, speaking to your children in every moment. Just use it all. You know, it's like, I know that, the books will tell you, like, make sure you do a devotional at this time. And it needs to be about this length because you lose the, the uh, attention span of your child. And listen, I'm not against, like, structured um, devotionals. I, I need to do more of that, actually. But, but, but listen, you can do structured devotionals every night of the week and then still not have a clue what you're talking about because if you're not living it out, what you're teaching, then all you're doing is solidifying how to live as a fake. And they will see, right? your children will see through it faster than anybody except maybe your wife. And they will learn it. If you won't live the gospel, all their, their listen, I know you might think, well, I'm just not, I'm just not making them overly Christian. I don't know how somebody can be overly Christian. I may be religious, religious wingnut legalist. Okay, I'm with you there. Let's don't do that. But talk with your children every day. Talk with, and not just like, well, now listen to you. I'm teaching you this theology. You know, no. Like, you know, hey, let's help this guy. Let's, let's, why are we doing this? Why am I going to tear your tail up in a minute, Right? I will teach you of the Lord with this swat, you know. You can literally use it all, you know, you really can. So it's cultivated. I can need to move on. So let's skip on. Fruitlessness is the demonstration that the wrong seed was planted or that the conditions were not right for the good seed and it was choked out. So you can have good seed planted on a plot 
it has rainfall on it because the rainfall is everywhere, and the good seed's coming up, and it's like, all right, I got me a peach tree or whatever, but then you never, you never took care of it, and the weeds and the thorns and the thistles came up over it, crowded it out, drowned out all the sunlight, soaked up all the water before it could get any, and it withers and dies. Fruitlessness is unuseful and detrimental to those in need. Not only does it affect you, but if you won't cultivate the gospel in your own life, then those around you cannot eat and enjoy the good fruit that is produced in you, the, 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 the piece of land. Fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, you want those around you to be able to enjoy the fruits of the gospel, then cultivate, plant, cultivate, and care for the seed that's been planted in your life. And allow them to come by and pick good fruit, juicy fruit off of you whenever they need it for nourishment. You know, that's what we're for. And so it's odd to me, some Christians, they can't stand the idea that people ask them for stuff all the time. Well, listen, I've told people for years, you know, people all the time ask me for stuff. Sometimes I just tell them no, right? I think that's why we don't like it so much because nobody likes to say no. But you just need to learn how to say no. And you can say it with care and you can say it gently. But if you, if you always have people coming to ask you for stuff, ask you for blessing, then all that really means is you have, you have been granted or given the uh, privilege to be known as, as generous. And that's what Jesus was. Everybody was coming to Jesus all the time. Hey, heal me, please. My son, my daughter, here, there. Please, Jesus. Why? It's because he was generous. He was loving. He was caring. He was full of the power of God. He wasn't in love with money. He wasn't in love with power. He wasn't in love with fame. He loved, so, why, so what does that mean? He, was, he wasn't in love with those things. He was just had everything he needed in God. And so if he had it, it was available. Remember when they said, you know, Lord, if you are, if you are willing, he said, I'm willing. Go and be, be healed. Jesus Christ was known for giving. But we, we have been given so much. We have been given, not even just monetarily or physically. And you might say, you may be given much, but man, you ain't never been to my house before. You ain't never opened my fridge and seen nothing but gnats fly out. Right? We got a gnat problem right now. It's driving me crazy. But did you know that it doesn't, you can be as broke as you want to be. I guarantee you every single individual in this room right now is richer than 95% of the whole entire world. See, we just have lack perspective. You'd be like, I'm broke. I'd be like, no, you ain't. You got shoes on and a shirt. And you slept indoors last night. Man, you filthy, stinking rich, comparatively speaking. You're just mad because you ain't as rich as that guy over there. You're rich, too. Everybody in this room, did you realize that? Everybody in this room, according to the standard of the entire world, every, every single one of you are filthy, stinking rich. We just don't see it, right? So my point is, is that we all got these massive blessings, but we get mad when somebody comes and wants to, wants to ask me, who do you think you are asking me for my blessings? These are my blessings, right? You know what? And I do this, too. I do this, too. I try to be generous. And I pray that God would allow me to be generous. But sometimes I'm like, this is my blessing, right? You, we, we should think about it. You know who we're like oftentimes? We're like those trees in the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah. Who you like somebody come by and pick a piece of fruit off of you, huh? You know? And, and how? think about it this way. How did they get more fruit? Right? We said, 
she said, eh, I didn't want any of your fruit. In. No, it was the scarecrow. He said, we didn't want your, none of your rotten fruit anyway, right? And what did the, the tree got so mad, he started throwing blessings at them. So you can get blessed by somebody who has a bad heart, but you still take the blessings and go see what you can do with it, right? <laughs> but we shouldn't be like those trees in the Wizard of Oz, right? We should be like, and we had this vision a long time ago, didn't we, Mark? You remember that, uh, Robert? You remember that? When we said, we, pr our prayer was is that the well church would be a church that is fruitful, so much so that it's painful. What do you mean? Well, uh, maybe I'll get my buddy Brandon Hyder come one day and talk to us about peach trees. But, you know, uh, trees can get so fruitful that it becomes painful and even hurt the tree. Why? Because they get so ripe with fruit that it gets heavy. And they start to droop, and they start. And somebody don't come along. If you don't give away some of that fruit, it's gonna break you. If you don't give, if you don't give, if you get too attached to your blessings, it will break you. That's why it's harder for a rich man to pass. It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. You hold on to your blessings. You hold on to your wealth. You hold on to your. You be you be too attached to these things. And it'll break you. We need to, this, this was the vision, this was the prayer, that the well would be so blessed that the limbs would hang down low and it would be kind of tough. It's going to be tough. But that way it would make it easy for people to come by and pick it off. They wouldn't even need a ladder. They wouldn't need to boost each other up. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, you're welcome. Oh, oh, yeah, enjoy. It's painful to give. It's tough, okay? But kind of, kind of what? Believers doing good land does. So let's move on. We see that this is true. This is the reality that some land, and see, again, let's go all the way back to what I was saying before. We are demonstrating the difference between true believers and those who really look like it, but then in the end prove to be what? Useless. Listen to the text a second. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless. Uh, and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned so you see this this land is not good land it's not it's producing thorns thistles it has no use its end is being burned now listen to what he says here in verse 9 talking about were these actual real believers was this actual salvation it says though we speak in this way yet in your case so he's saying that now this is true there are some who are in <clears throat> and there are some who are out. There are some who, some who are blessed by God, some who are not blessed by God when everything's said and done. There are some who demonstrate that they really do have a relationship with God. They really do have the seed. They really are uh, cultivated. They really are bearing fruit. This is the real deal over here. And others prove after a season of growth, after a season of testing, that it's just thorns, thistles, no seed, at least no healthy seed, and no fruit. This is worthless. This is useful. This is uh, to be burned. This is blessed. You see the two distinctions here. And then he comes and he says this. He says, though we speak in this way, this truth, this tough, tough, tough truth, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation, which, is, which is, uh, implies what? The other does not belong to salvation. You see, the, you see what I'm saying here? Everybody's wondering, 
well, does that belong to salvation too? And they were saved and then they wasn't saved. And, you know, we're kind of in and then, then we're out. And, oh, no. And I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't want to live in that reality. Because let me tell you something. If you can lose your salvation, then that means what? You, have to, you need to be able to earn your salvation and keep your salvation. And we all, we all know how awful all of you are. No, seriously. Me too. <laughs> I don't, Brother Dakota, I, I, Justin, I, I don't know. That would be the most, if I thought that my salvation depended on my ability to make sure that it was secure, goodness gracious, that would that not that would like drive you insane? Your salvation does not depend on you. Now you say, well, then what's the point of this warning? Let's get to that. Listen what it says. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things belong to salvation. So he says, listen, here's the thing, is that there is a reality that stands as solid as any reality, and that is, it is only those who are actively, right now, in the moment, consistently walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, producing fruit, living for Him, that can be assured of their salvation. And it's not that we wonder, am I saved, am I not saved, am I saved, am I not saved? The question is, do you have the fruit in your life right now that would quieten your heart when you question your salvation? Because I can tell you right now, everybody in this room has questioned whether or not they're actually born again. And what will you lean into? Will it be your ups and downs, lefts and rights, ups and downs, lefts and rights, or will it be the relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ that makes itself known in your life even when you go astray? Let me put it this way. Maybe this will clarify a little bit. I've had people come to me worried to death about their salvation. Oh, I just don't know. You know, I've got these things in my life, and... I, I think the Lord, I'm, I know I'm living in a displeasing way to the Lord, and I don't want to displease the Lord. What am I going to do? Can you pray for me? i got to get this sin out of my life, and I'm struggling, Brandon. I'm really struggling. I'm fighting this, but it just seems to find me, and why am I so stupid, stupid, you know, doing this thing? i got to, how, how, do I, how do I get released from this? Tell me, please, I can't, I don't want to displease the Lord. I don't even think I'm saved. What do I say to that person? You know, I kind of, you know, I, my heart breaks for them, but I kind of almost giggle because I'm like, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure you, I mean, you need to be worried about that sin. We need to do something about that. We need to, hey, let's, let's formulate a plan. Let's get this under control. But, you know, I, I think people who aren't saved probably don't care. <laughs> you know, people who are just tore up whether or not they're saved, I need to be saved, Brandon. I don't, I don't know. I might be lost. I need Jesus. I, what if he turned it back on? You know, look, you, you okay. Calm down. People who love God and, and are terrified at the thought of losing him are usually saved. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, you know, I don't, that would be kind of weird, right? An unbeliever who doesn't even really believe in God, who has never really accepted God, never been born again, worrying about their salvation. Like, why do you care? It's the person who has been on fire at a moment, 
and they've been like all cylinders, right? Then they fall into a sin. Maybe I see them in their sin. Maybe I don't. Maybe they come to talk to me about it later. I've had both conversations multiple times, and the ministers in the room and the believers in the room who minister, you know the conversations because I guarantee you've had them too. I've had the one example I just kind of comically did, but it's true. I have those come. They'll be like, I don't know, I don't know. And I'm like, hey, listen, calm down. I'm not worried about you. You know, worried about the sin. Let's get this under control. But, you know, I tell them, I say, I would be more worried if you didn't care because I've had that conversation too. Somebody will come to me and they'll say, you know, Brennan, I'm not sure what to do. I'll be like, what's up? What's going on? What are you talking about? Like, well, you know, I came to the well and, you know, I, man, I've heard you preach or I heard this guy preach or I you know, got into the Bible, I went on a retreat, whatever, and then I was on fire for the Lord. And then something happened, you know, I just kind of lost my fire and I'm, I've got this sin going on, I've got this going on, and I know I probably shouldn't be doing that, but I don't know, I just don't have any passion. It just doesn't even matter anymore. Is this, you know, I'm like, bro, you need to be worried. You, you need, please, let's, we got we to gotta get on our face. Both, we've got to get on our face for both, right? Because we, we, can't, we can't sin, right? But man, when you get into that place and, and you're sinning and you know you're sinning and you're just like, ah, it'll be all right. And, and even this, even this, you ever talk to the Christian that said a prayer one time in VBS and now you're talking to them and it's obvious that they don't live for God, they don't even hide their sin and you talk to them and they're like, don't you know Jesus died for all the sins that I'm going to commit tomorrow? It's fine. Oh, my goodness. You see, you see Hebrews chapter 6 now? You see Hebrews chapter 6 now? Oh, don't worry about it. Jesus died. He died on the cross to forgive me of all the sins, even the ones I'm going to commit tomorrow. It's fine. Does that sound like this? Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. And that, that word, uh, holding him up to contempt, that actually means making a public spectacle of him. The original Greek formulation of that participle is, it is basically uh, making a mockery of him publicly. It's literally the guy that says he's a believer and he's, par he's participated in and, and enjoyed some of those things. But now he's just flippantly sinful. Yeah, I'm a Christian. He says he's a Christian, but he's just doing all these things, or she's doing all these things, and making a mockery of the Lord Jesus Christ for all to see. That's kind of what that is. See, you see it? He says, I don't, I don't believe that about you. I believe better things. These are things that belong to salvation, for God is not unjust so as to overlook uh, your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints. Now, here, here it is. We're going to kind of finish out uh, right here. Because we said, well, you know, what's, what's Paul's objective here? You know, I think it's a good, good question to ask of the text, right? He, we got this massive warning. I mean, this is a massive warning, right? It's impossible. Hey, listen, you make sure you click and you, you stay after Jesus. You, you chase after him. <clears throat> Earnestness, don't be sluggish. Get after him. Why? Why? Because it, it's, you will either be in one or two camps and you want, you do not want any questions surrounding where you are and, and who you are and what you are. And I say it that way because when you are truly born again, you're of another what. Remember when Jesus was talking and, and he said, you know, if my, if, I, if my kingdom was of this world, you know, my, guy, my men would fight, my disciples would fight for me. 
but my, not, my kingdom is not of this world. Well, I always thought that was just the most amazing verse. It's not that his kingdom has no part in this world or they're completely disconnected. He's saying there's an, that's a, that formulation of that, that verse and, and the way that's written, that's a, that's a, that of is a source. It's an of. So he says, my kingdom is not of this. That's like when John said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. That's, that's like they were not sourced from here. They did not come from here. What he's saying is my kingdom didn't come from this world. That's really what he's saying. It's not from here. My kingdom is from another place. It's another source. It's altogether different. And true believers are altogether different. And when we're living as if we are in this world or part of this world, and we're really a part of another reality, then we are making a mockery. We are living in a way that is not aligned. And I'll tell you right now, you want to be the most miserable human being that you could possibly be? Then be born again truly and try living in sin in this world. You will be in misery. Can anybody say amen? Because every one of you who are true believers, you've all fallen. We have all fallen. We've all gotten into sin. We've all slipped up. Some of us gotten caught up in sin for a season, but it was the most miserable season of your life because you knew this is not who you are. But listen to what it says, For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. You see, this is what it's about is that as you live out your faith, as you live out for the Lord Jesus Christ, it does a whole lot of things. It provides cultivation. And I had, if I had a lot more time, we could go into this idea of that seed, that promised seed. See, the Word of God is the seed. The gospel is the seed that goes in. But the Word of God is also referred to as the sword of the Spirit. And the, and the Spirit, it prunes us. The Spirit strengthens us. The, the, the Spirit... Uh, it, it, carves out things it, the spirit does the work of growing us up the spirit is the one that cultivates and prunes and does so all these things start flowing together with the word of god and so as you pursue after jesus christ and as your faith and this ties in also with hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 that says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the confidence or conviction of things not seen remember that verse it's the definition of faith well, I don't know if you've ever tied it back to Hebrews chapter 6, but listen to what this says now with that on the front of your mind. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. What is he saying? He says, you need to make sure that you continue after pursuing after the Lord Jesus Christ so that you can have the full assurance of your faith. This is all about being sure that your faith is genuine. It's not about how you get faith. It's about being sure that you have legitimate faith. Works do not earn you faith. Works that are done unto the glory of God for his name demonstrate true faith. And you say, well, why should I work? Why should I work? You work in order to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God who is at work in you, both to willing to work for his good pleasure. You need to work because God is working in you. And if you're not working, then God's not working in you. And you can be a part of that. And if you won't work, then you won't grow. You won't be sanctified. And you have no assurance. And I'm sitting here looking at you going, bro, I don't know. You might be going to hell. And you're like, ah, I'm good. You should ask me, why do you think I might be going to hell? Because you have zero 
grow fruit on your tree. And God said a tree will be known by the fruit that it bears. It's not me judging. It's not your brother judging. It's me from a concerned heart or him or her from a concerned heart going, I'm just worried about you because you say that you're an apple tree, but all I see is cucumbers. You see what I'm saying? So why work? Because God is working in you and with you and for you and on you. And if you're not doing anything, last part of the verse, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. Why be earnest? Why be pushing? Why, why, why? To have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you will have the full assurance of hope to the end. So that your faith will be realized when you stand before God. And you may say, but I never even did anything, Jesus. And he's like, yeah, but I knew you. And I preached enough to you, to you guys for you to know that what I'm saying when I say earnest work for the Lord I'm not saying well I kind of you know sometimes you know Paul does say I beat my body and I make it my slave so after having preached the gospel I won't lose it myself right so sometimes you gotta be, be like grab the rod and be like Brandon get your telling get pow right David said he commanded his arm did you ever realize that David David said bless the Lord oh my soul I read that one day and I was like yeah Everybody's like, follow your heart, follow your heart. I'm like, no, command your soul. <laughs> bless the Lord, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless his holy name. You know, how many, how many of you have gotten up in the morning, you're like, man, I just don't even feel like doing anything with the Lord today. Can we just put that off to tomorrow? And that's your flesh talking because your spirit knows he's good, right? He's good. That's like when you love your wife and I love my wife. Well, let's flip that around. That's like when my wife loves me, but sometimes she don't like me. That's true. See, did you see how loud she laughed? That's because they newlyweds. Hey, give it a month. You won't be able to stand him. You'd be like, why did I even do this? I'm calling Brandon right now. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind, right? I can't believe he did that. You see, you, love, you can love somebody and not like them, Right? You can love somebody and like them. You can like somebody and not love them. You can not love and not like somebody. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, we go up and we go down and we go up and we go down. But we need to, man, we need to chase that earnestness. Go. Why? So you have that full assurance of faith all the way to the end. So that you may not be sluggish. So? How do, and man, I needed this message today. You know that? It's crazy how often that happens. I needed this message today. You know, you know how, and I'm, I'm done. You know how you combat sluggishness? You know how you combat uh, questions of faith? You know how you combat uselessness? You know, how many of you within the past month have looked at yourself in the mirror or maybe just felt it in the bottom of your soul or you've struggled at some time in the last month with the idea or maybe you've heard this, you've spoken to yourself, whatever, you've, you've struggled with this idea, I am useless and worthless. How many people? You want to combat that? Hebrews chapter 6 says what you need to do is that you need to press in. You need to get earnest. You need to cultivate. You need to plant. 
You need to give away some fruit. You need to be useful. You need to receive the blessings of God. You, know, you need to know that, that it's tough sometimes. But you know what? I'm stepping back in because I didn't come in it on my own. And I can't lose it on my own. Jesus did this. And if God is at work in me, both the willing to work for his good pleasure, we can just flip those around. I'm going to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because I don't ever want to think. I don't ever want to seem. I don't ever want to deal with the idea that I might not be in his grip. Because I'm going to tell you right now, Brandon, before he ever gets out of the Lord Jesus Christ's grip, you don't want to see that guy because I've seen that guy. I can tell you about that guy. My wife can tell you a lot about that guy. And that guy was nothing but miserable, evil, wretched, a killer of everybody that he stepped in contact with. So God, please keep me, hold me, push me, motivate me. Give me a fire in my bones that cannot be quenched. Bring me to that place. Change my mind. Change my mind. Listen, every one of you right now, listen to me. Look at me dead in the eye. Some of you are convinced that your happiness is going to come through money. Some of you are, are convinced that it's going to come through leaving your children a big old nest egg. Some of you are convinced that it's going to be in building a company or building a career or getting a degree or whatever getting that car that truck that whatever some of you have thoroughly convinced yourselves that that is the route to happiness and I'm telling you right now listen to me look at me that that is a route and the road to damnation and all along the way I promise you this you will be miserable because there is nothing like chasing the chaff on the road to destruction when all you got to do is hang a right and go with the son of the living God in him we find our life in him we find our breath in him we find our being in him and we live and move in him we find who we actually are you can have it all but if you have it all and you don't have the sun, you have nothing but damnation and a chasing after the wind. You can have nothing on this side, but if you have nothing on this side plus Jesus, you have it all and nobody can take it. Lord Jesus, I pray right now for my friends, my brothers and my sisters. God, I pray for my own soul and I pray that they will pray for me, God, that my eyes will be on you and that you would release me, that you would release us from anything that hinders, from anything that binds, from anything that's choking us out, God. Send brothers and sisters into our life to rip the weeds up by the roots, God, that they would not interfere with this tree that's growing. I pray, God, that the salvation of those in this room would be legit. I pray, God, that we would have massive amounts of of interaction with you that would cultivate and spur on great big old grapefruits and apples and oranges that people from miles and miles around would come by to sit under the refreshing shade tree and pick ripe fruit and enjoy it why because we want to be made something of no I hope they don't even ever know our name God I pray, God, that they would come and as they pick that luscious fruit and they enjoy it, they would say, this fruit is fruit from on high. Glory to God in the highest. And that we would simply be vessels that brought the good, good water to a dry and thirsty soul. Jesus, you are the fountain of living water. You are the bread of life that has come down from heaven. 
He who eats of you will never hunger again. He who drinks of you will never thirst again. But all who chase in any other way is a chasing after the wind. Change our minds. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father and nobody finds joy or peace apart from you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody stand to your feet and come and do uh, business with God. They're going to do one last song right here, and uh, you'll be dismissed. I love you. Anybody struggling, anybody needing to do business with God, listen, where you are up here, whatever, don't leave this place today if your relationship with God is not what you know it should be. Love you.